Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the joy of Easter last week and that reminder. Um, would you just take us deeper into the resurrection this morning, Heavenly Father? Lord, we come with you, we come to you in whatever state we're in right now, and we ask for the ministry of your word and your forgiveness and to be reminded of your love and to be drawn deeper into the life of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, every unique season can teach us something different about something unique about God and about ourselves. Um, whatever stage you're in, this is true. Every every season kind of has a nugget to offer. And I remember really getting this when I was engaged to my wife. Um, it was a, a season where, you know, we are planning everything for our wedding. We're uh, like freaking out at night about what colors our napkins are going to be. And uh, like the registry thing, we're like scanning all this crazy stuff in Bed Bath & Beyond that we think we're never going to need with the little scanner. Uh, but beyond that, it's just a season of expectation. There's so much longing. We're inviting people, everybody to this feast. Um, it's a really unique season in a relationship where you're you're bound to a person uh, to an extent, but you're waiting to even come together more. And it was in that season of being engaged that the idea of our betrothal to Jesus really hit me in a profound way. Um, if you're new to the Bible, uh, one of the great storylines of scripture and truths about God is that God has come to wed us uh, to be his bride. It's really amazing. We are the bride of Christ. And in that sense, the entire life of a Christian is one of betrothal, is one of engagement where you have this same expectation. And praise God, Jesus is the one who plans the wedding. So we don't have to <laughs> worry about that. But uh, that same expectation and longing that part of our heart is meant to be a part of the Christian experience and expectation of the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, even thinking about inviting people to the feast is part of what we're doing is we're inviting them to the wedding. Um, you see that all throughout the Gospels. And I, that had just never hit me until I was engaged and in that season. And if that's true of engagement, it's true of all other seasons of life. Have something that they can teach you about God and yourself. And we are in a very unique season. Um, this coronavirus season, I don't know, I hope we never experience for the rest of our life uh, where the economy shuts down and there's a, a virus that's as deathly as this one that we're facing. And in this season, it's really a season of being dispersed, each to his or her own home. Um, that is literally what the governor has told us to do is to go be by ourselves. Um, we're scattered, we're, we're dispersed in all our places and our locations. Um, and we long to gather once again and worship together as the people of God. That's the cry of our hearts. We eagerly await the day we normally worship in Wilkie Gym and Edgewood High School. And we eagerly long to come back to that place and be together and to be able to hear the Alleluia before the gospel as a full body of people. Who knew that we would all long for the sanctuary of Wilkie Gym so much? Um, now, in Eastertide, uh, which is the season after Easter, our lectionary, which is our Bible reading plan, has us studying the book of 1 Peter. 
which is such a powerful, amazing little book. And it's going to be so awesome. But grab your Bible and turn with me to verse 1. It's also in your bulletin. Um, Susie actually didn't read this, but I just want to point out how the book begins. And I really do want you to go grab your Bible. So if you've got one in your house, go grab it. I will give you like a solid five seconds to go get it and open up to 1 Peter. It's kind of towards the back. Um, there's a table of contents in the front. If you don't have a Bible, please email me and I will personally buy you one uh, or figure out a way to get you a Bible. 1 Peter, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is a letter to people who are dispersed. This isn't a letter to a group of people who are all a part of a big church in Rome or something like that. It's a letter meant to unify a bunch of people who are spread far out. Um, all these little cities that you see mentioned here are in like modern day Turkey, and that is way bigger than modern day Dane County. So you have to imagine this letter is going out to a lot of people who are dispersed. And the word dispersion there in your Bible might be translate or might be capitalized with a capital D. Um, you might have a different translation that says something like to the people who are scattered or spread abroad as foreigners or something like that. But in the translation we used, it's capitalized because that's a proper name. The Greek word dispersion is diaspora. And that word diaspora has deep significance in the context of the Bible. Because the people of Israel, a part of their blessing from God was inheriting the land, the land of Israel. Um, but from the point of about 597 BC, they were exiled. They were scattered and dispersed from their homeland. And even though many came back, many did not. They remained a dispersed people, a diaspora. And their longing was the longing that you feel right now. Now, granted, the, the dispersion of the Jewish people and the diaspora, you have to augment whatever experience you're feeling right now by thousands of years and bloodshed and utter suffering. So it's very, very different. Yet even so, it's the same nugget of a feeling to come together as one, to be drawn together again as the people of God and to worship God. And that experience colors every book of the Old Testament. Um, you cannot get through the Bible and not come across those themes of exile and dispersion. But what do you know? Here we have the Apostle Peter writing a letter to the church, to these new Christians who are probably worshiping in house churches throughout modern day Turkey. And he calls them the dispersion. Those in exile. In fact, this is a theme throughout the book of 1 Peter that you'll see come up again and again. It comes up later on in, verse, in chapter 1. It comes up again in chapter 2. And a huge theme is Peter teaching the churches how to live in exile. But what's fascinating is that he's talking to Gentiles. Probably some Jews as well. But he's speaking to non-Jewish people. Many of them who probably grew up in their hometown and are still in their hometown. So they're not longing to return to Jerusalem. He's just calling these new Christians, you're the dispersion. What in the world? What could that mean? Peter is pointing out something that Jesus and the rest of the New Testament confirm. And that is that the exile of Israel points to a deeper exile that all of us experience. Whether you're a Jew or you're African American or you're Norwegian American or you're Russian or you're Chinese or you're Palestinian. Um, Give me another nation. 
Polish. Yeah. Um, no matter what. And that is that we've all been dispersed and scattered from our dwelling place with God. The gospel is that Jesus has come to bring us home to dwell once more in unity with one another and with God. Mm-hmm. And in our life, we live with the longing to be gathered together once for all with our brothers and sisters around the globe and throughout history, those who have fallen asleep before us, to hear the festal shout and to sit down at the feast in the kingdom of God. Um, in Holy Week, we talked a lot about how there's like a slavery in Exodus um, with Jesus's cross and his resurrection, but then it points to this deeper slavery to sin and death. Or think about, we've talked about how there's thirst that the people of Israel experienced in the desert but Psalm 63 and Jesus kind of take that and they, they send it to a deeper thirst that we have. Um, and here it's the same thing. There are two exiles. And I hope you can see I'm not making this up. That's literally what Peter is doing. There's two types of dispersion. And the one teaches us about what we all experience in terms of our scatteredness and needing to be brought back and gathered together again as the people of God. And I want to put forward to you that our current situation, our current coronavirus scatteredness, dispersion, has so much to teach us and remind us if we will allow it about this deeper dispersion, which honestly I don't think we're often in touch with much. Most of us would not consider us as diaspora. And yet this is what Peter is calling you. Because you see, when we come back together as church, all of our inner aches and longings um, will not be over and will not be satisfied. Um, We had deep problems and deep longings and deep uh, fractures in our nation before coronavirus. Do you you remember that? Um, Coronavirus has helpfully dulled and I think numbed some of those because there's been so much that's been so much more pressing. Um, But we had pre-existing conditions. And for some of us, I know that right now, the relational turmoil or familial turmoil or things that are going on that have nothing to do with coronavirus, pale coronavirus in comparison to what you're experiencing. Um, And some of you are like, how could that be possible? Coronavirus is such a big deal. But some of us are suffering so much that coronavirus is an afterthought. We're gonna take all of that back to church with us, to school, to our work, to our life. And on the other side of this, when coronavirus dispersion ends and we're back together in Wilkie Gym, the Apostle Peter will still call us the dispersion. He'll still write to us as elect exiles because our goal is not Edgewood High, our goal is heaven. So there will always be a part of life that, as J.R. Tolkien says, is soaked with the sense of exile. Every part of it. The church, until the final appearing of Jesus, will always be the dispersion. Now, if you're tuning in this morning and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian um, and you're kind of just like watching and thinking about this stuff, a lot of this might be new vocabulary. Uh, You might have heard the word diaspora, maybe not. The idea of exile and uh, the marriage of God and his people and all this stuff might be a little bit new to you. But I wonder if you identify with the feeling. That just as we long to come together from COVID, there's this longing to come back and be united as a people. So there's this deeper ache that you've experienced even before COVID happened. That long to know God and be known by him and experience a unity and a harmony with other humans 
that we have never fully tasted, but we know is right and good and that we seek after. Um, if that's true, if you do identify with that, I want to encourage you to let God's word give you vocabulary to understand your own experience. This is something that God's word always does. We feel something. Um, we don't know how to explain or describe what's happening in us. And then the word of God will come along and articulate it to us. This is what's happening inside you. Jesus does that for me all the time with his word. Um, and there's so much to learn here. First Peter teaches us that we are diaspora. Even if you were born and raised in Wisconsin, uh, in terms of the eternal life of God and the history of all the human race, we are diaspora. And the gospel is about you coming home, which is why our vision statement as a church is to be a community coming home to Jesus and his church. This is our entire life and goal as a people. So let's not waste this season. The desert is always a place of revelation. Um, let's let our COVID dispersion teach us about our life dispersion. Okay, so that's verse one. <laughs> um, I'm not going to spend that long on every verse, but if Peter is addressing those as the dispersion, um, then hopefully you're pretty excited to read the rest of this letter. Oh my gosh, what does he say to people who are dispersed? Um, I think Peter in this, and particularly in this paragraph that we're going to focus on in verses three to nine, um, really gives us two things to think about. One is reasons to rejoice in our dispersion. And the second is perspective for our grief in dispersion. So reasons to rejoice and perspective for our grief. And I think that what Peter says applies both to our coronavirus situation and absolutely to that deeper uh, spiritual exile that we experience. So grab your Bible again and open up with me to 1 Peter 1. Um, like I said, I think Peter gives us these two things, reasons to rejoice and a perspective for our grieving. And I see first verse six in this little paragraph as kind of the fulcrum or turning point between those two subjects. So look at me at verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Um, you can see how he refers here to rejoicing in the first half and then grieving in the second. And I think that's really the makeup of this paragraph. Everything leading up to verse six uh, are the reasons to rejoice in this. What I just said is why you should rejoice. Um, and then everything that follows is a perspective of grief. So let's begin in verse three and see what he says are reasons to rejoice for people who are scattered and suffering. Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you rejoice. Now, aside from being one of the most memorable, just beautiful parts of scripture, um, this is Peter being deeply purposeful and specific in his encouragement. Uh, he's, he's not just saying random good stuff. Like it can be easy to think that people in the beginning of these epistles just are like saying awesome stuff. This is really, really specific for people who are in exile because he's addressing, I think, what are the three great exile insecurities or dispersion insecurities. First of all, it's the faith of his hearers. He knows that one of the first things that happens when we suffer or we are in trial 
or we are dispersed is we tend to question our faith and we tend to question the character of God. Where is God? Does he see us? Is he taking a break? If this is happening, how can God be real? How can we hope in him if he seems like he has no power over this or coronavirus or whatever? Um, maybe you thought about that during coronavirus and maybe you've had the same doubts too. And if you have, uh, you're in good company because people in the Bible have as well. Um, one of the, the themes of the Psalms, which is the prayer book of God's people, the Psalms of exile are filled with these types of questions. Um, you can read a Psalm like Psalm 89 and see the psalmist just questioning and saying, where is God? How could he have made this promise to us? And we don't see any of it because we're suffering. Um, that's the first kind of insecurity that, that Peter is speaking to. The second is he focuses on their inheritance. Um, in exile, this is a crushing insecurity. There's no inheritance for the dispersed. Usually you lose everything when you are taken into exile. Um, their inheritance is thrown away. And now for folks in Jesus' day, this is probably a bigger deal than it was for us. Um, and yet I think we get it because of the economy right now. Many of us are asking questions like, what's going to happen to everything that I've worked for and done. If you're in a company or you own a business or you're working for a company that's threatened, what's gonna happen to my 401k? Will I even have a 401k? Will I be able to have one? How is this not gonna destroy everything that I've worked for? It's a real thing that we are considering right now. And third, Peter talks about the people themselves. The insecurity here is what about me? Um, will I be forgotten in my isolation and dispersion? Will I vanish? Does anyone care about me? So there you have it. I think that's the, the trinity of dispersion insecurities. Is God who he says he is? Can I trust him? What about my inheritance? What about the things that I've worked for? What about me and my suffering? And I think this is the same for us. Where's God in all this? What about the economy? Will everything be lost? And what about me? Now let's look at, at what he says again, considering these things. Look at verse three with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter reminds the diaspora that we have been born again to a living hope. A hope that isn't fuzzy, it's not ethereal, it's not philosophical, it's not a fool's hope. No, it's a living hope. And I think that's just one of the greatest pairs of two words ever, of living hope. And how so? Notice he ties it directly to the resurrection because Jesus rose again from the dead. Peter begins by reminding these people about Easter. Um, nothing was more crushing than the cross. No separation was greater than Good Friday. And yet joy came with the morning. God did not abandon the soul of Christ to his death. He did not let his soul see decay. And so our hope lives. He's alive. The Lord is risen. Everything else is based off of this fact. And I love how Peter starts there with encouraging these people who are suffering. He says, you have a living hope because Jesus is alive. Like we talked about last week, there is indeed deep magic beyond death and more powerful than coronavirus. But then he shifts to their inheritance. So look at verse four. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So our true inheritance, 
Um, not merely our 401k, which we can't take with us, but the one that is eternal, the inheritance of communion with God and joy and fellowship with all created things as a daughter or son of the king, being an inheritor in the kingdom of God. That inheritance, Peter says, is imperishable. It can never go away. It's undefiled, meaning it can never be um, kind of like soiled or tapped into. If the stock market dives, that inheritance does not dive as well. And it's unfading. It never, it never loses its luster or its brilliance. And what a reason to rejoice in the middle of coronavirus. The treasure which Jesus urges us to seek in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember that, we talked about the treasure Jesus says to long for. The inheritance he gave us by his death cannot be touched. Peter's reminding these people who are scattered, the inheritance, the thing that you're coming into is absolutely above everything right now that's shaking and moving. If that's not a reason for security, I don't know what it's. Um, this is something I've thought about so much is how central the idea of an inheritance is to Christian hope. Um, there's another sermon here that we do not have time to get into, um, but we do not often sit and pray and speak to each other and say, I am just soaking and rejoicing in my inheritance this morning. But the Bible does. So I think we're missing out on something by missing out on the joy of our inheritance and what a hope that is in the kingdom of God. We are inheritors of it. And that is what Peter tells these people. You've got an inheritance. It's better than anything else and it's not going away. Praise God. Finally, let's see what he says about us. This is kind of answering the what's me, what about me question. Look at verse, uh, end of verse four. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love his choice of words. Guarded through faith by God's power. Um, in our dispersion, we're not forgotten. We're not left to fend for ourselves while we await our inheritance and we wait to unite. Rather, we're guarded by faith, by God's power. We're seen. We're held up. And so we get to the beginning of verse 6. In this you rejoice. Our hope is alive in the resurrected Christ. Our inheritance is imperishable. And we are guarded through faith by the power of God, even though we shelter at home, even though we suffer. Peter knows how to encourage some dispersed people. What an amazing thing, thinking about the context here and thinking about how the, the Apostle Peter is choosing to just inject hope like an espresso shot into these people who probably have a lot of reason, as we do, um, to fear and to doubt. Praise God. But I love that he doesn't leave it there. This is so important. Um, Peter does not offer them some pie in the sky uh, hope, like Jesus in clouds, uh, to people who are suffering in the dirt of their dispersion. He then pivots and he speaks right into their pain and the reality of their situation. Look with me. Verse six again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Um, I was listening to a thing on NPR this week about Winston Churchill's leadership during the Blitz. And it was amazing. And uh, one of the most memorable things that he did in his leadership was give these very amazing speeches to the, the English people 
that were both rousing and comforting. And, and uh, he, he really led with his rhetoric through that stage of immense suffering. Um, and if you just shocked me, there was 57 straight nights of bombing in London, just to give you an idea of our coronavirus situation and then what those people went through. So he was speaking in a situation worse than ours, but what he did in his speeches, they all had a threefold format that kind of his speeches followed. First, Churchill began by giving an extremely sober assessment of their situation. He didn't sugarcoat anything. What was awful and tragic and hard, he called that. This is awful and tragic and hard. He would even say, it's probably gonna get worse. Um, here are all, all the ways that this is so brutal right now. But then in the second part of it, he would pivot and he would talk about reasons for hope. But it, it wasn't saying or denying the pain or the suffering that was happening. To that that nation at the time and then the last was a call to action when you are suffering and you are feeling the weight of exile it's so important to hear reasons to hope it's so important and i think that's why peter begins his 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 letter with blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ we have a living hope you rejoice in that but it must be paired with a sober affirmation of pain If the Bible just talked about hope and it didn't address our suffering, it would be worthless. If Jesus just rose from the grave and did not die on the cross, it would not be the gospel. But that's why the Bible is so good because we see both of these things everywhere. This is what Peter is doing for the diaspora. He gives reasons to rejoice and then he addresses their trials, which he says he knows is grieving them. Um, and honestly, I, I think that saying these are these trials are grieving them is putting it lightly. What these people are experience, experiencing, what we know from the letter, um, was much more intense persecution. They were losing everything. They were being challenged and uh, physically persecuted. Um, and so if all the worst things came true about coronavirus that are in the headlines, we would even come more deeply into an understanding of what Peter's talking about because of the situation these folks were in. So Peter doesn't want to deny our suffering. He wants us to give us perspective for it. And then look what he says. Um, I hope more than anything you hear me say this morning, you'll take 1 Peter away with you because this is such a precious paragraph. We're going to start in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fi fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Um, oh man, there are riches here, but I think Peter... There's a lot here, but if I could distill it, I think there are two perspective shifts on our grief and on our suffering and dispersion that Peter wants to give us. The first is this. The trials will not last forever. This is so important. The trials will not last forever. Though now, listen to the caveats Peter gives. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved. 
the dispersion, the suffering, the persecution that these people were experiencing, Peter is saying they have an expiration date. They have an end. These people were suffering so much, they may have been tempted to think, this is it. We think that too. Oh, well, this is just life. Their days would simply end in suffering. That would be the end of the story. But Peter reminds them, no, this is only for a little while. And he can say that because our hope is alive. This is important for us with coronavirus. Uh, We all know this, but it's just good to be reminded. Everything happening right now is for a little while because it's necessary. And it is. Things will not change forever. Life will go on. But this is also significant, I think more significant for the things that we'll take back from quarantine, back to our life, the deeper aches, those deeper sufferings and trials that sting us more than sheltering at home. In the light of the resurrection, all suffering has an expiration date. Like we talked about last week, sin and death are not the last word. The resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits of all things being made new, and we will follow in his footsteps. That is literally what he offers us. So we can be grieved by various trials and can endure hardship because of that truth. Um, One time when I was in college, I went uh, hiking on the Appalachian Trail uh, in Tennessee and North Carolina. And because I grew up in the suburbs, Uh, I had no idea what I was doing and we didn't pack anything right and we got lost and we ran out of water and food and it was utterly miserable. Uh, Like didn't know we were supposed to like hide our stuff from bears, like classic hiking trip gone wrong. And uh, the last couple of days I was like about to faint and properly like it was bad Uh, and probably was in much worse situation that my young 20 year old self would have liked to admit. But I endured it because I knew that on the other side of the Appalachian Trail, there was Calhoun's Barbecue on the Tennessee River in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I knew that when I got there, I was literally going to take a bath in like sweet tea and cornbread and apple butter and brisket and pulled pork and banana cream pudding, right? And I did take a bath in all of those things. And it was like, I think, the greatest meal of my life. And because I knew that was coming, I knew that my fatigue and soreness and thirst was only necessary for a little while longer. And so I hoped. There is a direct connection between hope and endurance. Let me say that again. There is a direct link and marriage between hope and endurance. If your hope is great, your endurance will be great. If you have no hope, why would you endure anything if you have nothing to look for? Peter, Peter's already reminded us that we have a living hope. I think that's why he starts this way. And now he's reminding us that our trials are temporary, that they have an expiration date. Praise God. That's our first perspective shift. Here's the second. And that is that our grief is purifying our faith in Jesus. Our grief is purifying our faith in Jesus. It has a purpose. It has a so that. Did you catch that? Um, End of verse six again. For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that. 
There's a so that. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. In our exile, we suffer trials um, of many and various kinds. And like Matthew said on Palm Sunday, Matthew Farley, when he was preaching, he said that you know Jesus and Christians do not delight in suffering, um, but we never waste it. God never wastes suffering. And if you need an example, just think about the cross. This is the worst thing in history that God uses to defeat sin and death. The analogy Peter gives here is, is familiar um, analogy in the Bible, if you've read it. It's, it's of gold being purified. And I've never purified gold, but from what I understand, it's it's impure and it's raw and it has all its impurities in it. And then through the, through the fire, uh, the pure parts are kind of distilled and remained and all the impure parts are taken away. And that's the example that Peter's giving here. Um, think about all the things that he just said are unfading and imperishable and unshaking. We know that there's a lot of things in our life that are shakable and are defilable and perishable. And what happens in a season of testing is the things that remain, the things that can be shaken, get shaken. And you kind of see them for what they are. And then the things that don't shake um, come into focus. And nothing comes into focus more than Jesus himself. That is the point. Peter's saying all of that's being distilled and what's coming into focus is the person of Jesus who is the object of your faith. And that's when you get to these absolutely consoling and delicious verses, uh, verses eight and nine. Though you've not seen him, you love him. He's speaking to these people who are suffering, who are experiencing this purifying. They're experiencing this exilic ache. And he's saying, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So this is just as significant of a perspective shift. First, you know the trial won't last forever. Hallelujah. So you can endure. And second, you know that God can work through and accomplish something in it. That you will come out of your trials with treasure, which by the way is exactly what Israel did when they came out of Egypt. They came out with all the treasure of Egypt. And that is an image for us of the way that we suffer and when God can use what's happening in our life with us so that he purifies our faith and Jesus comes into focus. So in our dispersion and in our longing to return, we have reasons to rejoice. Um, I hope you hear the exhortations of the scriptures this morning. Uh, no matter what your situation is, because you have an imperishable inheritance, you have a living hope in the resurrected Christ and that God can guard you through faith by his power. Those are reasons to rejoice. And then the scriptures give us a perspective for the hardship. My suffering will not last forever. All evil in the kingdom of God has an expiration date. All of it. And God can always work through anything. He can give you the treasure of the trial. He can purify to you and sanctify to you your deepest distress. So my prayer is that one day when we do return to life and if we all go back to our jobs and who knows what, how we'll think about this season in a year. Um, 
But it's gonna it's gonna be over, even though it just got extended to May. It'll be over soon. When we go back to our jobs and our schools and our life, we go back to Edgewood Gym and we're all worshiping together again, and that becomes normal and we take it for granted. It will happen. My prayer is that we keep some of this. The longing you experience right now is one that you should always have in your heart, longing for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness, uh, to, for the reign of Christ to come all over the world, for us to be gathered to people in my family who have passed away. I'll see them again one day before the throne of God. Get to meet Peter. He probably won't look like anything in all the comics sitting at the, the gates. <laughs> but that longing, that is a part of the diaspora experience, but God uses it and he's with us. Hallelujah. So be encouraged this morning. And again, if you're listening and you're, you're new to Christianity or you're not, you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian and you want to know more about tasting and believing in the living hope, I, I would love to chat with you about it. Uh, my email is scott at christchurchmadison.com. Praise God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.